Welcome back to How They Train. Today, I'm joined by Matt Hauser, who has been one of the most informed short course triathletes in the world recently. Matt came third at, at the Commonwealth Games, which was a, a massive performance, um, even though the Commonwealth Games may be not quite as big in triathlon as it is in some sports, but at the, at the moment, sort of the three best guys in the world were there racing, Matt being one of them. He also uh, came second in a, in a lead-up event to that race at WTS Hamburg, which is actually probably a bigger deal. So, so that second, I'll, I'll be curious to see Matt's take on that. But in my mind, that second probably holds more weight than, than the Com Games, even though the Com Games are pretty special to Australians. Um, Matt is one of the, the new generation who are just insanely good across the board. His, his swimming and running are, are genuinely as good as anyone in the world. I reckon Matt has had the like the obvious signs and progressions of someone who was always going to end up being one of the best in the world. In the world, and you know Alex Yee and, and Hayden Wild are two guys who are similar ages to him, who have sort of formed this rivalry in being the the two best short course athletes in the world. And and in 2022, Matt really has begun to to push his cases as being that next best. Um, it, it feels like he's taken that step at least, and I guess that's why I asked you to come on, Matt. And and without asking you to be arrogant straight off the bat, do you also feel like that about your racing at the moment? Uh, well, firstly, thanks for the uh, introduction, mate. That's one of the better ones I've had. Uh, probably the only one I've had. Um, but yeah, to be honest, um, I've always had like self-belief in my ability and like growing up through the junior ranks and um, performing uh, junior world champ back in 2017. But now like I'm starting to feel like I belong um, in that kind of elite category and uh, it's amazing to see the way, you know, Hayden and Alex Yee have grown, like, in the short span of time. Um, you know, they're, they're probably one and two in the world at the moment. So um, to be able to, like, kind of ra- ride that wave with them and um, and kind of go unnoticed a little bit at, at the same time and and uh, let them, you know, jig it out up front and then, and for me to try and uh, pick, up the stri- pick up the scraps, so to speak, is uh, – has been fun, especially this year. Um, I'd say probably a breakthrough year in, in the elite racing for myself. So, um, so yeah, I'm just riding the wave at the moment. I'm just happy with how my form's going, and um, if I can be anywhere near those guys or start challenging them for the uh, for the top top step of the podium, then uh, and that's what I'll do. Has anything changed recently? Like, has anything that you've been doing been different, or is it just? Do you just feel like you're just doing more of the same thing in your training, and and it's just finally converting into really world class racing because of the years of of doing it back to back? Yeah, there's definitely been a change, um, especially in my mental um, focus. I think after the Olympics last year, that was a bit of a uh, a bit of a wake up call. It wasn't the experience I'd hoped for. Um, it was a bit anticlimactic. Um, you know, as I've said in the, said in the past and on other platforms and, um, yeah, for me, I think it was a bit of a mental switch to go, right. Like I've really got to take ownership of this professional career and I've got to treat it as such. Um, I, I went back home in the Australian summer and put together like four or five months worth of, you know, good quality, like just, just solid training. Like I was, I was, had this focus of, big rocks before little rocks and the big rocks for me were increasing my mileage on the run, um, increasing my mileage on the bike and sustaining my swimming. So, um, yeah, I think it was just consistency that, that got me to where, to where I was. And by the time I rocked up in the Yokohama this year and, and got a kind of a breakthrough for me in the, at the WTS level in, in fourth place with a, with a handy 10 K run off the back of a solid bike, it was, it was kind of a sign to, to me that I, that showed that professional outlook 
and um and the kind of the, the commitment to just doing more and training um was was working so it's definitely um yeah it's definitely a mindset thing i think me taking ownership of this is like this is your career this is what you you know you're building a life upon um you know this this could be you know the wages that can hold you hold you in good stead you know towards building a family and, and creating a life for yourself so um yeah i think to to get that sort sort of set in my mind um was a really big motivating factor I'm really actually keen to dive into that um, and and get more specific, but just for those people who don't know, because I think you probably agree with this, Matt, despite being in the world, I don't think the WTS or ITU is is covered nearly enough or well enough. So like your result at Yokohama, which was fucking awesome, like uh, as good a result as an Australian's probably had in triathlon this year where you know, you ran 29.30, like you just talked about off uh, off the bike over 10K. And and I think the first seven guys all went under 30 minutes that day. Like it was an insanely quick run. Like Alex Yee ran 28.50, which yeah. if that's not, yeah, that's got to be, you know, up there with Alistair Brownlee's 2012 Olympic runners, one of the best runs in triathlon yeah. history. Um, doesn't really get covered much. People don't really know about it. They might see on Instagram that like um, – that, that it happened, but not know the details. So yeah, like I, I think not just brushing over the fact that you ran 29.30 that day for, for only fourth place is pretty insane and shows where the, the sport's at. Um, yeah, so more specifically over that, that four to five month block where you're you sort of increasing mileage and, and you know, um, building the, the bricks to performance like you were sort of talking about, what, what were you actually doing? Like, were you working with a coach? Were you just with a training squad? Um, and what did your week sort of look like in that big four to five month base block? Yeah, I think um, I've I'm basing I've been based on the Gold Coast for about almost six years now um, with my coach Dan Atkins and a good group of athletes, um, Matt Roberts, Lorcan Redmond, who's coming through. Um, we've got a few young guys also joining the squad now, so it it was kind of viewed as like an under twenty three developing squad, but I think hopefully we're changing changing the game of that now in the, the triathlon Australia kind of sphere. So, um, so yeah, I've got a great group there. Um, and f- for me coming back from the Olympics, um, and kind of the disappointing seat, I mean, I got third at under 23 world chance, which, um, which was, yeah, it, it definitely helped the, uh, the, the disappointment of, uh, of the Tokyo Olympics, but, uh, wasn't enough in my mind, um, to salvage a year. So, um, and then I, I basically got back to the Gold Coast and and the guys that I was training with, you know, in Matt Roberts and, and Jack Zizinski and, and Lorcan Redmond, they were just they were just so motivated and so keen to get stuck into work and and it, to come back to that kind of environment to go right. These we might be racing for different different races or different goals, but these guys are you know they're motivated to you know to get the best out of themselves. So I really had to kind of feed off their energy. Um, because I guess in the lead up to Tokyo, I was kind of, we were prioritizing like heat acclimation and therefore my mileage went a bit down because I wasn't like getting through the work as well as I, I probably could have um, just consistently throughout the weeks. Um, so I basically set a, a target range of like 350Ks on the bike per week, um, 80Ks on the run to build up to. And then the swim, uh, the, the I mean, I've, I, I'm lucky enough that I can, I know I can always rely on my swim and my swim speed. So that was kind of sustained a little bit more. Um, but yeah, certainly that there was a, there was a bigger focus on the run and bike mileage. Um, and also like bringing back a session on the run, like I was only doing 
two sessions a week, including like a run off the bike. Um, whereas like previously I'd, I'd try to squeeze out like another, like a third session, um, a week on the run. So the, the emphasis was kind of like sustaining that high, high mileage and bringing back the intensity a little bit, um, and really like digging into those key sessions. So yeah, for me, it was, um, it was, it was a nice mental switch, as I said, and, um, just having the ability to get through that kind of that workload that I hadn't like previously, like tapped into, um, was was tough definitely it came with its challenges i got a bit of like tendinopathy and um little little bits and pieces come up which i like i hadn't really experienced just because i hadn't like reached that workload in like previous years but um to me that was kind of a, a good sign knowing that like my body was was handling was handling the work all right and um and getting through it so um yeah so with those two sessions that you you dropped back to and, and sort of made the foundation of, of your run weeks, what exactly were they? Were they like very similar? And and I guess where I'm interested in talking to you and, and finding out is the difference between one of the best short course triathletes in the world versus one of the best long course triathletes in the world. Because the long course guys and girls, they get out there on podcasts or they have YouTube channels and, and I think everyone knows exactly what they do. And, and even like Christian and Gustav who have their own YouTube channels and stuff, they sort of seem to give away more about what they're doing with long course, but we don't really get mm. heaps of insight into exactly what short course guys do and, and where the difference is. Like how, how many people would know the exact differences between how, you know, the best ITU guys in the world train versus the best Ironman guys train. Like, I don't think many people would really know that. So what were your like? What were your run sessions looking like week to week, and um, and, and did they change much, or were they just pretty similar? And you know, um, how much of a, a speed focus was there versus you know some longer stuff? Yeah, I mean that was that was probably like a natural mix to it all. Um, uh, I would say like I would do like a like a session on a Tuesday, and that would be a bit more of like a fight left, like active recovery type of session where. Um, I remember doing like a session, um, it'd be like 30 minutes, but it'd be eight minutes, eight minutes of like a threshold pace and then w one minute quicker and then one minute like off a little bit and then back into the eight minutes. Um, and so we'd do like a continuous 30 minute and that would be more focused on it like, like doing like a long course, like, sorry, not long course, um, like an Olympic distance type of race. Um, and then for instance, maybe do like four, four to five, two Ks where we do a mile at say, like 310 pace and then onto the track and we do like a like a 1617 um and then back straight back into the mile so like a kind of 8k continuous um you know which ends up being like quite a handy split for for 8k but the but the real challenge was trying to like drop down the pace um to try and like simulate a bit of an attack or out of a u-turn or something like that um so a lot of it is like was trying to get a little bit more k's out of out of the session um but then also having that ability to to kind of change pace um and then my second session would be just like off the bike on a saturday um whether that be like k reps or um something like that but there would always be like a like a longer more thresholdy with a bit of a change of pace and then like more of like a speed session um at the back end of the week so yeah and compared to the long course guys, how, how do you think your long run changes? Do you think that's one of the big differences? Like are you, are you ever running sort of two to two and a half hours a week or, or are your long, long runs a bit shorter? A bit shorter. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't really 
these days I wouldn't really run over 20K for a long run. Um, and that would just be at like a steady pace. It wouldn't be wouldn't be anything too too dramatic, like 430s, like fastest, I reckon. Um, and the long runs, we like our our uh, our training group switch it up a little bit to a lot of train groups. Like I know Joel Filio's crew does like their long threshold run on a Saturday and then a long ride on Sunday. Whereas we like back to the traditional like runners um like kind of lit kind of week where we do like the long run on a Sunday. Um but that's purely just to say if I got like 62k for the week on on the on the Sunday morning, I'd then just do 18 to make up the 80 um to try and keep it as consistent as possible. So it would be just like a fill in as to to however much much more you would you would need to like to make up your mileage for the week. So yeah, I think I think the difference between long course and short course, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience racing long course, but there's a there's a great emphasis on training um and how much you push yourself in in long course training. Um and then on the on the flip side of that and short course racing, it's a lot more instinctive and, and adaptive and reactive on race day. Um, so I, to be honest, as much of a muchness, as long as you're doing, you know, like decent mileage in short course and you, and you, you're hitting those like key sessions, um, it's much of a muchness to whether you're doing K reps or 400s on the track or yada, yada, yada. It's all about how much you can get out of yourself on the day and how much of a competitor you are, I think is, uh, is more of a showing. So. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Like short course at the moment and probably really since about 2008, 9, 10, it's sort of changed now, isn't it? Where it's just short course racing is insane. Like there's not a single race that you can just fluke a win at. It's like you, it, the level is, is – I think people don't really realize this sometimes is the level at the top of short course racing is so much better than the level at, at the top of long course racing. Like the – the, sh- the short course triathletes for the last 10 years have been the best triathletes on the planet and, you know, people, because they're not as big names maybe or they don't promote themselves as much or, or, or like Ironman is just a bit of a bigger brand, they maybe don't quite get the attention. But, yeah, what guys like you and, and Alex Yee and Hayden Wilde are doing and what the Brownlee started and, and, and Christian and, and Vincent Louis and those kind of guys, it, they're, like, it's just insane. Um, and, like, the, I guess that's what I really wanted to figure out with, with chatting to you, Matt, is like, how much of that is the training you're doing versus how much of that is just being, um, you know, like having like race short course your whole sort of childhood and, and you've just gotten used and, and adapted and developed to that kind of racing because you'll see like a long course guy come and try and race it. Um, like, you know, we had the Island House triathlon not that long ago ran by Luke McKenzie and Beth McKenzie and, yeah. and like the long course guys were embarrassingly mm-hmm. slow compared to you guys, but they, they've trained 30, 35 hours a week. So yeah, I, I guess I wanted to sort of figure out exactly why that is. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you talk about like short course versus long course and I kind of look at the short course athletes that have like made a career out of short course and then they've, they've gone along like this, this isn't, we're not talking about just anyone like mind you, we're talking about Chris Bloomfeld and Gustav and, and Vince has done, done a bit. And now Ali's trying to venture in, um, to long course hasn't really stuck yet, but you know, I'm sure he'll get there. The athlete he is, but, um, like just seeing their rise to success, like so quickly in, in long course, um, is kind of, it's kind of cool to see for, for like a short course perspective, knowing that like, we're not too far away if we if we choose to 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 step up. Um, 
and like attack that that kind of longer distance. Um, but yeah, back to back to the like the original kind of conversation. It was, I think it's, I think it's like as a short course athlete, there's a set season, right? Like you you got a set amount of races to do, and um, and you can't really afford to to pick your races. Like you you know you've got to get Olympic points, you've got to get points for the World Series. Like you've got to be racing you know, every, every weekend, sometimes for five, six weeks, you've got French Grand Prix races, you've got Super League races now, like the season's just getting longer and longer. Whereas I think long course, like, like training's their big thing and they can pick and choose their battles throughout the year. Um, you know, so I think short course, you kind of become numb to the sensation of, of battling it out on race course and, um, and just, just pushing yourself and pushing yourself to that next level against competitors who, you know, the difference you know, in the day is like 10 seconds between first and 10th place. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit more cutthroat in the way that, um, you know, I believe we've, we've kind of like intuitively grown up, you know, just being forced to race and race and race and race. And that's, that, you know, comes with a lot of attributes like instincts and adaptiveness and stuff like that. So um, I think that's where the real different light difference lies. Um, you know, there's definitely phenomenal athletes on both sides of the picture, but, um, yeah, that's definitely an obvious difference for me. And, and you sort of mentioned before that it doesn't really matter too much what you do in training. Like as long as you're kind of doing the right stuff and are doing, and doing enough of it. And then you, you know, on top of that, you're a, a really naturally talented athlete who's a phenomenal racer that, that you'll, mm. you'll have some success, but do you guys ever chat? Like a lot of you guys at the moment who are, who are the best in the world are all pretty young and. And I'm curious to see like how close you are and like how much you actually talk about what you're doing. Like, do you ever have conversations with the guys like we've talked about, like say an Alex Yee or Hayden Wild or whoever it is at the time, Leo maybe, and and just figure out, oh, what are we doing that's different to them? Like, is there something else we can be doing, or do people sort of keep it a bit secret? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny you say that because I yeah I can't really relate to that to that at all. It's it's not like it's taboo to talk about training sessions and stuff like that, but it's almost like you know if you were so interested in what they're doing like you're you're kind of taking away from 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 your philosophies and what you're doing and and your your own self-belief and in in your kind of trajectory so yeah i don't know it's just like if you're too invested in what other people are doing like obviously you're always learning you're always you know taking note of things um but i mean the the best way to learn is to to, to race against those guys like yeah as i said there's not a massive emphasis on on like what you do in training, like at that top level, and you know you're in a high quality squad with with good guys, and um, you know everyone's doing you know much of a muchness really. If you if you sustain workload and you get a few sessions done in the week, like um, the the learning is done through racing each other and and observing and um, feeding off each other's energy. So I think um, no, I've to be honest, I've never really had those conversations with with those those people like i might i might see alex or hayden like do something and i might be like wow yeah bro like damn like that was that was tough like you know but then you know not really not really like delve into it too much because you know you kind of got to bring it back to what you're doing and what what your training philosophies are and how how you get the most out of yourself so i think it differs so much that you can't be too caught up on numbers and you know what people are doing so yeah 
and then I sort of um, started to speak about it in the intro and, and, and we've briefly talked about it. But um, your Commonwealth Games performance the other day or a couple of weeks ago now was, was really insane. Like um, uh, the Commonwealth Games are a funny one where for a lot of sports, it's, it's not a joke. It's far from a joke, but it's not nearly at the level of like the world championships in that sport or, or the Olympics in that sport um, just because of the, the, the countries that aren't there. But in triathlon at, at the moment, like I think if we had, uh, you know, an Olympic race that day, you guys who podium, so Alex Yee won at Hayden Wild, came second, and, and you came third, obviously. Like you guys are very arguably the three best triathletes on uh, on planet Earth right now, particularly over that that distance. Um, how does that performance sort of sit with you compared to say your second um, a few weeks earlier at Hamburg, where where Hayden won it? Um, did, it like, is it is it do you sort of look at that performance with the most pride of anything in your career or or do you go, oh, well, it's just the Commonwealth Games, it's not the Olympics, which is obviously the the real sort of A race of, of or the dream race to win for all short course triathletes? Yeah, yeah. I th- yeah, you basically summed it up pretty well. Um, you know, obviously it's it's got to be respected because you got, you know, one and two one and two guys in the world that, you know, got, got first and second in the Com Games. Um, the thing about Com Games is it's, it's like it's highly packed in the front end of the field. And then it's like the, the depth drops away quite a bit. Um, so you don't have, have the depth of, of racing as you do in the you know, WTS or world, world, world champs or, or Olympic Olympic race. So um, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I looked at the com games as obviously a target race for me this year. It means so much to us Aussies and we take a lot of pride in, in how well we do. Um, so it was definitely a target race of mine, but in the back of, my mind and I, I've worked with psychologists and stuff like that. And that, you know, we've said that it's just part of the journey towards the Olympics. Like it's just, it's all building. Um, so it's just another step in the road, um, for me to, to gain confidence and to gain exposure at that high level and, um, to get another notch in my belt. Uh, you mentioned Hamburg and I, I definitely agree with you. I felt, um, yeah, a bit more relation, um, in Hamburg than I did, than in Birmingham because I guess for me like I felt I felt good in Birmingham but I didn't feel amazing and knowing that I could perform as good as I did in Hamburg um and then feeling a little bit off in it off in Birmingham I like I I swam well the first like 300 400 meters in the swim and then dropped off quite a bit dropped back to the second pack um Hayden was teasing me about you know he was a better he was a better swimmer than me in which he was on the day credit to him but I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to switch that, switch that mindset in, uh, in Super League. I think, but um, not much about that day felt good, and until like the last 500 meters, where I like I knew I'd kind of sewed up the bronze medal. Um, so it was just a final day. Whereas Hamburg, I felt felt strong. I felt in control. Um, you know, I felt felt good. So um, yeah, obviously there's different levels to to each race, um, but I think knowing that. I could perform the way I did in Hamburg and, and then probably falling a little bit short of that, that kind of capability in, in Birmingham was, you know, obviously I was later with the bronze medal, but I would have loved to, to feel how I did in Hamburg um, in Birmingham, um, which probably added to that, to that differentiation of, um, of elation as, as you kind of alluded to. So, yeah. 
What's it like at the moment being involved in these run battles with like, uh, we keep saying these same names, but it, it really is you guys like Hayden Wild and Alex Yee and, and Leo and I guess Jake was sort of there in a way at the Commonwealth Games. What's yeah. it like being involved in these run battles where you're, you're getting off the bike and you know that to win this, oh, I'm probably going to have to run 14.15 or 14.20 for 5K to, to win it. Um, you know, if I run 14.30, I'll probably come second. And, and knowing that if you get off the bike over, over 10K and Christian and Alex and Hayden and, and, and you know, Vincent, if he's on, are there, that you're probably going to have to run at least 29.30 to, to win. Like, what's that like? Is that daunting? Like, do you even think about that? Like, or, or is the racing just so insane and, and so fast that, that you're just used to it now? It was definitely daunting a year ago when I, I didn't, really have the the belief that I could hit those times. Like I was seeing these guys run up the road and they ran like a minute or two into me in Tokyo. And I was just like, like, my goodness, like what's this sport coming to? Like, I'm just being spat out the back end. And I was just like, will I ever be able to run those times and, and keep up with these guys and the way they're progressing and stuff. So, um, but I think, yeah, this year has definitely been a change in my mindset, seeing, seeing the kind of like change in my mindset six months ago and putting in the work and then being able to to hit those marks which i didn't previously think i would hit um is just like something something that's like really fulfilling in my own mind um and and it's certainly like such an honor to race these guys that are like you know performing so well and to be like there or thereabouts with them um you know is just it's granted me a lot of self-belief and and knowing that i can i can be up there um, whereas previously, like I had a lot, like not a lot of doubt, but like I doubted that I would, I would be able to match it with those guys knowing that, you know, yeah, you've got to run a low 14 these days and it's just getting quicker and quicker. So, um, yeah, I think the, the mindset's definitely changed with that, but yeah, it is, it is crazy to see just the development and to see like the runner that Alex here is. Um, and you know, there was, there was a few questions um, around like would he be able to like swim bike with with the rest and still be able to like hit like a like a dominant run but he's just like grown so much as a triathlete and it's it's quite inspiring to see um and then for him to still lay down those runs and to Hayden to be with him it's yeah it's 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 pretty incredible so um and it, I, I love it for the sport it's it's so good to see the development and to see athletes getting stronger and times getting quicker um you know it definitely yeah yeah it needs it needs to be highlighted because these you know these guys are doing some some crazy stuff so yeah hey everyone just a quick break for my favorite part of the show thanking the people who have signed up as best friends over on patreon like i say on repeat every week these are the people who keep this show happening honestly without their support i couldn't keep doing this i also wanted to put it out there that i'm just going through these in order of when you signed up so if i haven't got around to thanking you yet just know that it is coming first up today is chris hanrahan Chris is a sports scientist in the making and has a real passion for triathlon endurance sports. From all reports, Chris is also a really, really solid triathlon coach. I've just heard nothing but good things about the way he operates. Outside of that, Chris is also a guy who sends me in ideas for the show, which I really bloody love, especially because they're ideas that I read and think like, oh yeah, I love that. I'm I'm clearly going to do this. And so sometimes feel like I'm stealing ideas a little bit. (laughs) But uh, yeah, like I said in last week's episode, you can put an episode out there and it, it can sort of feel like it goes to no one. So people like Chris who get in touch with me and chat about the podcast really do have a, a special place in my world. So 
yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, you're the man. I, I appreciate you and keep, keep messaging in those ideas and I'll happily steal them. Next up, coincidentally, is another Chris, Chris McTaggart. Chris first messaged me, oh, I think, way back in March to show his support for the show. And, and I remember the message well because there was a part of it that I, I, I still think about from time to time. Um, he told me that I'm at my best when I talk about training and not to try and be Mike Munro hosting This Is Your Life. It genuinely made me laugh and, and made, me think, like made me really think about what do I want this podcast to be? Since then, we've chatted heaps over the past few months about episodes and no one is quicker to encourage me to get more runners on the show than Chris. So hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy Jess Stenson's episode in a, in a week or two where we, we chat about the, the Commonwealth Games Marathon gold medal, Chris. Um, and speaking of encouraging, he's all about me encouraging guests to swear more, which I love because uh, I am a habitual swearer. So it makes me feel a little bit better about that. Uh, thanks for your support from, from the start, Chris. And thanks for being one of the people who, who helps keep this show alive. And the last person to thank today is Diane DeMole. Diane is a triathlete who I'm pretty sure did Cable Beach Triathlon on the weekend, which I'm bloody jealous of because the weather is horrible here in Ballarat at the moment and it it looked like a really nice day. Um, Diane just seems like one of those people who has a crack at everything from like trail running races to triathlons to crazy CrossFit workouts to to doing like insanely long handstands and you name it. I reckon Diane's probably had a crack at it. I've said this before, but I just love people like D- Diane who who just get after life, train hard, and do what most people don't do. We are literally all about that over here at How They Train. So yeah, thanks so much for your for your support, Diane. Keep getting after it, and keep posting sunny photos over there in Western Australia and making us Victorians jealous. If you want to be like Chris, Chris and Diane and support the show on Patreon, then the link is in the description of this episode, or if you're an Instagram person, it's in the bio of the How They Train Instagram account. It's really easy to sign up. I know I say it every week and I don't say it as a throwaway line, but for $5 per week, you can literally be the reason how they train grows and I can give you more and more episodes with better and better guests. I'm just so passionate about this. I work as hard as I can to make it happen and therefore your support means more than I can get across. Like I honestly wish I could take every single person who signs up out for like a fancy five-star restaurant dinner just to show you how much this means to me. Just no seafood though. I'm, I'm really not a fan. Anyway, back to my chat with Matt. This sort of brings me on to something else I wanted to talk to you about. And, and like Alex Yee, for those people who don't really know, he sort of has a running back background and he's, he's you know, um, run on the track at, at Diamond League events. Like he's, a, he's an insanely good runner. Um, and, and I guess like the rhetoric around short course triathlon for probably since about the, you know, 2004, 2005 has been like that it's just a swim and then a run and the ride doesn't really exist or it doesn't really play any role in what happens it's just like a formality that you have to go through to get from the exit of the swim to the start of the run Mm. um and then like a lot of questions were obviously asked about like oh can alex you know transition and and swim well enough and and ride run well enough to be able to showcase his his run and i think at the moment the sport has sort of become a little bit of a running race as long as you can be there at the front of the swim it's become a bit of a running race and I don't really buy into the whole like you know that you, you don't have to be able to ride well to to race well because I've I've trained with and raced with a lot of the guys and I know how insane the the riding is at that level it's just the courses and the the race format it makes it bloody hard to to get away like it's so hard to get away if if you've got a working group of 10 to 20 behind you and like you can't just pop off the front by yourself it just doesn't happen but 
I think because of that format, it hides just how strong cyclists you all are. Um, and you sort of sort of mentioned before as well that you wonder how you know how far off you would be if you made the step up to long course, where obviously the bike is a much bigger factor. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about your cycling at the moment and and just cycling in short course triathlon at the moment and, and the level it's at and how much work you guys are doing and and how strong or weak you you personally think it is? Yeah, I'd, as it's always been in short course triathlon, probably you know before the like after the Craig Waltons and and the, that kind of era of era of triathlon, um, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely become a running race. Like you'd be you'd be stupid not to say that. Um, but then you've got guys like Hayden who are just riding out of their skin to catch up like twenty seconds, and like he's riding against guys that are motivated to stay away. Like they they're swimmers that want to ride hard because they know they can't run as well and you've got Hayden coming through at the speed of light like just catching them like they're they're pedaling square so it's you've like there's there's an element to it that those guys in the second pack are just like getting stronger and stronger um and you know there has been occasions where where there has been breakaways um probably more like the Brownlee era where you know Ali and Johnny just like dominated straight out of the swim um and then really hit that hit that bike hard um and i think it it's also course dependent as well like it it varies from course to course um so um yeah but like for instance i, I consider riding probably my weakest leg um and you know it's something that i've worked on and that was part of that that kind of that change to to getting up to those 350 almost a 400k weeks on the bike was to to basically like have belief in myself as a, as a cyclist um not just like a, a strong cyclist in triathlon but you know to actually feel like a cyclist in training and then therefore um put that into racing but um i've definitely got a long way to go these guys are like pushing some insane watts and then also running off the bike and running you know these low 14s and and low 29s so um so yeah i would say it's one of my my weaker points um my runs definitely um got me through the the harder races this year um which i'm thankful for but yeah as you as you said um well I'd, i mean as as i mentioned like it's it's also course dependent right like there's you can have some really technical courses and some guys can get away and um and it all depends on motivation as well um so but it's hard to stay motivated when you know you've got Hayden and Alex who can run you down with a click of a finger like you know it's just it, people have got to believe at the end of the day that they can that they can make it stick not just not just be disheartened because they're seeing these guys like run ridiculous times or like even ride so strong as well so um but yeah I think yeah that's basically that's basically it so how much riding inside of that sort of 350, 400 kilometers a week that you were doing, particularly I assume over that that big four to five month block leading into the season is, you know, sessions or like um, indoor trainer or like maybe more sort of ITU specific sessions versus how much of it is just getting outside and, and, and riding your bike easily? Um, yeah, so I'd probably say it was brought back to probably the two sessions a week, but then the third ride would be kind of like, like a, like a sub fat max type of type of session where it's like you're rolling two hours, but you, you it's undulating two hours and you're probably like averaging two twenty to two fifteen Watts for the, for the two hours. So like, you're still, 
you're still like ticking away and it's still strong riding. Uh, it's not like just an easy, easy tap, but um, yeah, the other two sessions would be like maybe like an interval session where you're rolling turns for like six to 10 minutes um, with a group of guys with some like efforts in there, whether that be like 10 to 15 seconds sprints um, and then get back to like kind of threshold race pace. Um, and then the other session would be probably like sustained um, power on hill reps. So like four to six minutes um, repetitions, probably five to six times. Um, and then again, like a bit of a fight, like type of session thrown in there, whether, whether that be like the first 30 seconds out of the saddle hard, a minute 30 kind of like settle into a pace and then go again and then like alternate that for the, for the four to six minutes. So it's basically like training yourself to be adaptive when there's like technical courses and in and out of corners. And, um, cause you know, when you, when you're thinking about a run or a five, 10 K run at the end of it, like you, you know, you you, you want you, you want your legs to to be able to handle the the power spikes throughout to to still like not take the sting out of it. So yeah, that that's the kind of work that I was that I was doing. Um, we'd only really ride Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Saturday would be our session. Um, we kind of added in like a Sunday like hour, just like a spin, just to make up some kilometers um, towards the back end of the off season. So, um, but yeah, that was the crux of it. And you mentioned before that you're, you're coached by Dan Atkins. Um, a few things I'm curious about with that is, I, I guess the, the main thing I'm curious about is, do you and Dan talk about your training much? And is your training super specific to you? Or do you guys as a squad sort of do the exact same thing, give or take, you know, maybe a few details in a session and, and you sort of just do what, you, what you're given? Yeah, pretty much the exact same. And I mean, Dan and I like talk and reflect on sessions, but like like not with much depth to be honest like we'd just i'd just roll up to a session and he'd be like hey maddie big wicked training you feeling all right i'm like yep ready to go and then just get stuck into it like it, there wouldn't be too much like oh like, you know how'd you sleep like you know like bits and pieces like that or you know good power the other day like it, there's there's not a lot of that because i mean we're all kind of trying to sustain the same workload so um so there's not too many specific conversations i'd say before like a big block of training like coming into say like a four or five week key race block of training um there would be a conversation of planning um with myself dan and and sean dioria who was a qas physiologist at the time we would would plan out and map out what key sessions to hit throughout those weeks um but yeah in amongst it it'd kind of just be business as usual and and get through it um yeah i'm lucky enough to train with some 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 strong guys um so so they're they're like sustaining the same workload and we would just differ differentiate the training as to like what races we've got coming up and the timelines of those so um but yeah yeah and they're just they're, they're good mates as well like you gotta have good mates to train with so um to to keep it fun and light and stuff like that to have a bit of a laugh during it so and another question I've really wanted to be, I've just wanted to ask someone this. I just haven't really had anyone to ask because throughout like sort of the course of this podcast, we've had um, quite a few long course athletes on who have come out of the short course or Australian co- short course system. And the I would say the, the takeaway from all of those guys is they didn't really enjoy their time in the system. Um, 
and, and, you know, didn't like the culture or the leadership or the coaches or whoever it was, they just didn't, they didn't like the system. And that's probably underselling it. Like they were, they were quite a bit more negative than that. Um, but I, I, like say talking to Steve McKenna in our last episode, but he sort of said, but I hear that, that things are a little bit better at the moment and, and that it's heading in the right direction. And I mean, you're the perfect person to ask. You're our current best short course athlete. You're in the system. No one is, is better to ask about this than you. How is the, the current Australian short course system going? Um, I know after the last Olympics, particularly over our female performances, but I think over our male performances a little bit as well, there was a lot of criticism from, from ex-professional triathletes who had been in the system and sort of were demanding like an overhaul of, of everything. So yeah, from your point of view, how are things going at the moment? Like, are you enjoying it? How do you see the system? Um, from from my perspective, it's been a good ride. Um, so, like, when I was, like, 16, 17, getting um, picked for the National Talent Academy, NTA, which was a, a brainchild of um, Craig Redmond, um, I was kind of brought up chasing, chasing like, world, like, relatively – like competitive world times for the, you know, the time trials, like 1K time trial on the pool and the 5K time trial on the run. Um, and then we're kind of brought up through that system. And um, I, was, I was taken care of like really well. Like I remember, like I grew up in Harvey Bay um, and always had to travel down for, for camps um, and races and stuff like that on the Gold Coast in Brisbane. Um, and then when it came time to me, me to to move down and to start my professional career I, like i met with um stephen moss and at the qas and, and then found my home at, at the gold coast with dan atkins um and it like it's been a smooth smooth ride for me but it, i guess it i guess it's only as smooth as how how you perform and how you race like i think if you do if you do everything you're right if you tick all the boxes and you know you know you it's you, you're gonna have a smooth time whereas if you're you know, if you don't have as much success or you don't, yeah, I guess if you don't have as smooth of a ride, you're going to have a bit more of a chip on your shoulder and then start looking for not excuses, but like start looking for things to, to, to kind of pin it on. So, um, but I, I mean, everyone has their different experiences and, and for me, it's been, it's been a smooth ride. Um, yeah, definitely. I guess the, the development side of things um, in today's um, system um probably needs to be a little bit stronger and I, I think we are making some making some some good inroads um i know i spoke to dan atkins the other day and he's just you know we've just employed a new queensland scholarship coach that's come on board to to kind of help out that that younger generation coming through to the uh you know to the junior and under 23 level so um so i think we're we're starting to put things in place and to to realize there is a, a little bit of a hole to fill um, but yeah, definitely as, as Steve mentioned, you know, it's, it's seeming like the, the culture is, is improving. And, um, like, as I said, the, like my journey has been, has been pretty surreal and, and pretty smooth sailing. Um, but yeah, I can definitely like empathize with people who haven't had the, haven't had the greatest ride, but I mean, everyone has their different opinions and, um, how things go and, you know, how they race or how they train. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a much for muchness, but, um, yeah, for me, it's been, uh, it's been smooth sailing. And then probably like something I was thinking about because of the Collins cup being on this weekend and, and Hayden wild racing in that, who really is, is pretty similar in, in terms of level of athlete as yourself, but you're not, not there obviously. And 
But then you see Christian and Gustav doing what they're doing over in the, the long course scene at the moment. And obviously Christian, you know, won the Tokyo Olympics over short course. So he's sort of living proof that you can do it both. And when you look at what's happening with the PTO at the moment and how much money they're paying athletes for performing well at races, does part of you say like, you know, think, shit, should I be going and doing this? Like, uh, like, or, or is that like sort of drive and, and dream of the Olympics just such a strong pull for you that that you don't even in, like consider that stuff or think about going into that world yet because you're just everything laser focused on Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. Yeah, I, it's definitely thoughts have come to mind, especially over like yeah the last six months where PTO have been more prominent. Um, and yeah, they've credit to them. They've they've like increased prize money. They've made stronger fields, so it's not it's not like one or two guys racing you know, a 70.3 or an Ironman that are good and the rest like a kind of there to, you know, make up the cash prizes. It's kind of like they're making it more, more competitive, which is exciting to see. Um, and, you know, like I look forward to watching long course races now, um, you know, whereas like before it was, you know, not, like not as competitive, whereas like they're, they're making more of a, they're putting more money on the line. So they're making it more like cutthroat and, and uh, and more exciting to watch so um it's definitely crossed my mind but i think yeah the lure of the olympics and and that kind of dream is still burning really strong like i've only kind of just like made towards the top end of the itu or the world triathlon scene um so that's like that's my number one thing at the moment and i look at people like hayden wild and christian and like it was it was evident that they were always going to like try their hand and everything they they possibly could and you know whether whether money is the motivation for them or whether they just want to like do everything they possibly can in the calendar because like Hayden Hayden was talking about racing Super League and then the next day going to like a French Grand Prix and racing that like in two different countries and I'm just like mate like this is crazy like I couldn't even I couldn't sustain that type of like just like like the the racing like continuously like it just it'd take its toll on on uh, on any 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 average person but um it's it's cool to see those guys like put their hat in the ring um and take every every opportunity they get because you know you got to make hay while the sun shines so um so i'm yeah i'm looking forward to watching it this afternoon and um over here in croatia at the moment so um i'll be tuning into that and um looking forward to seeing those the short short course guys um you know take the title time and on the on the subject of money, I think there's like some sports where talking about money is really acceptable and normal uh, and and public even like if you look at the NBA or or the NFL um, or or you know MMA, which is my favorite sport outside of triathlon. Um, but I, I, I like I wonder if it's just because they're such big contracts, and then you get like sports that aren't really as financially lucrative, like running and triathlon and and swimming and, and, and like money's not really talked about. No one, no one knows how people make money or how much they make and that kind of thing. And I was having a conversation the other day about like, well, how much money does a triathlete or a runner make from their Commonwealth games appearance versus going to a major marathon or, you know, coming second at ITU Hamburg or winning Kona. Like no one knows what a triathlete makes for winning Kona, which is quite crazy really. Like, Mm. uh, I don't know how we don't know that about this sport. So with you guys as short course athletes and yourself now being one of the world's best, how do you guys actually make income? Is is it coming from your racing? Is it sponsors? Is it from federations? Where does where does it come from? And like, 
without giving me specific amounts, like like how much of it comes from here versus comes from here and 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 then how well do you have to be racing or performing for it to be sort of viable versus, hey, I'm just breaking even year to year while I travel? Mm. Yeah, well, like firstly, like – us as athletes in the triathlon Australia system, we're we're so lucky to be supported um, financially through, you know, the, the Australian government and then through TA. And you know, I look at countries like, you know, like say for for instance, like New Zealand, they're always like harping out, harping on about like how they have no funding and and everything and all of that, but yet they're still performing. And it's just like it's crazy to see like the discrepancy of of like federations, um, but like. Yeah, I guess it, it comes from like drips and drabs, like three different streams, like sponsorships. Um, uh, for me, that that's a that's a major one. Um, yeah, race winnings, obviously, um, and then yeah, like government funding as well. So there's yeah, there's like drips and drabs. I guess if you're not like coming first every WCS, it's kind of hard to to just rely on race winnings um, in the ITU scene. Um, so. So yeah, you definitely kind of have to 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 have your hand in a few in a few different pockets to 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 make to make a living and to you know to make a career out of it. So, um, but yeah, I guess like you know things like PTO, they're they're obviously um, they're obviously doing great things for the long course. Um, short course, you kind of have to you know shop around a little bit, I guess. So um, to to stay supported, so. But yeah, it's it's. I'm so grateful to be a part of Triathlon Australia because, um, yeah, they've definitely supported me like all the way through. Um, from from as long as I can remember, and I'm very lucky to have to have their backing. So, yeah. So with Triathlon Australia and their sort of funding for for triathletes, how big a discrepancy is there from say like our best or or highest funded athlete or triathlete versus our lowest funded triathlete? Um. I mean, there's there's systematic support like support staff and um, and like payments for physio and um, like claims for accommodation and stuff like that. Um, you know, triathlon Australia um, they they help support us with with trips overseas and stuff like that. And based on your tiered level of um, level of racing um, is basically to how much how much of your trip gets gets paid for. Basically, um, it's it's kind of more like then triathlon Australia would put you in a tiered system and then put you towards um, like the, the Australian government funding, which is which is data's funding, and that kind of depends on on where you rank um, in their eyes. So yeah, without going into the specifics, that's kind of like the basis of it. Yeah, and then with uh, like a WTS race, like one of the major WTS races, how much do you make for winning those races versus say if you come tenth or say if you DNF or come last, like? Do you get appearance fees just for going there, and and yeah, like how much do they pay to win? Pay to win WTS is like 18, 18 US, and then there's a bit of a drop off that goes to like twelve, and then I think it's like six or seven or maybe eight, um, and then it drops down to um, to about two and a half, I think, for for a top ten, and then they pay to twentieth, which is a fifteen to the twentieth is is a thousand, so. And all all paid in US, which is which is handy for us at the moment. Um, but um, and then also you've got like sponsorship bonuses or whatever you have in place with your your individual sponsors and stuff like that. But 
um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of them are kind of like podiums and stuff like that. So, um, so it's kind of, yeah, you, you have, you have to be doing pretty well to make, to make a decent, decent living. And without speculating too much, cause it's obviously like just a tricky and, and, and sort of potentially dangerous area, but how much could you potentially think to ma- like, or hope to make as, as say a top five short course triathlete in the world right now? Um, yeah, I mean, speculation is, is a, is a certain thing, isn't it? I mean, like I, I talk about super league and, and that they, they openly put out what they pay their athletes. That's kind of like cross, cross promotion at the same time. Like they're saying, like we, you know, we, we support our athletes, which, which they do a great job at doing. Um, but yeah, they, they list their, their earnings and stuff like that. I think, um, it was published that, uh, Alex, you know, made 140 to 150 and then Georgia, like something similar and, and, um, you know, Jess Liam on something similar again. So yeah, like the, the information is readily available. Um, and then you kind of just got to look back at the results to, to kind of add it up, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Basically, basically if you're in the top five, you're doing you're doing pretty well you're doing yeah, you're doing all right because it then there's a it then comes to the end of the year bonuses where um they pay out 80k for the for the win for the world champion um and then it kind of like goes down from there so yeah you, you can you can do all right if you if you podium out on the regular how many this is the last money related question i'll ask um because obviously it's kind of tricky <laughs> i'm for you. sweating here <laughs> yeah 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 i just wanted you to say a million i didn't want you like you didn't have to go into the detail <laughs> uh if you're like not one of the best in the world right and you're let's say you're a 50th to 200th best best short course triathlete in the world which you know in that range those are all guys doing it full time trying to trying to make it how how much are you struggling financially at that point to to just stay afloat like are you are you simply living sort of paycheck to paycheck or like you know finishing a year and you've saved no money or maybe you've lost a little money bit of money or you've just broken even but but you've had the year of traveling and racing or or is it even harder than that like do those guys have to sort of come and go and spend periods at time uh, time at home working or or doing other things on the side just to get by yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not not a glamorous sport. I mean, you you think of the the amount of hours you put in, um, and then if it's not coming off on race day, like it's you know it's like uh, at that level, you kind of got to pick and choose choose your races, right? Like you you might have to go to a French Grand Prix and and race that, or um, or like go down to like a World Cup or even a Conti Cup level, which you know still still pay out you know, for the top five and, and world cup is, is pretty decent nowadays. So, um, you can make, you can make a decent amount of money if you're going around racing world cups, getting, you know, five, you know, top fives, top tens. So, um, yeah, I think, I think for, for that level, you definitely got to pick and choose, like pick and choose your races as to, to how you can fund your season, but it's, it's not, it's definitely not viable. Like it's, you know, you've, you've like, I know some guys that, you know, have to work part time in the in the off season to kind of like to fund their fund their careers overseas and stuff like that. And if there's you know a lack of national funding for for some countries, it's it, it's definitely a hard time, and they have to rely on their parents or um or you know their savings. So um it's a it's a big slog considering you know a footy you know an AFL rookie can get paid like a hundred 
120 off the bat, like coming in um, to the system. Whereas like, you know, you've got guys like trying to like stay afloat and trying to like play, pay for flights and, you know, chip in for ACOM and share ACOM and stuff like that around the world. So um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a glamorous, glamorous sport to get into if you're, if you're looking for, for the high paychecks. Um, you've definitely got to definitely got to work hard and, and perform for those. So, yeah. And just to sort of finish off the chat on, on a little bit of a, a more training note or, or somewhat related to that, do you have any other things you do outside of just the swim, ride and run? You, I know you've mentioned that you sort of maybe work with a psychologist a little bit and your mental game has changed a little bit, but, and, and, I, and you briefly mentioned that you were doing quite a bit of heat training leading into or heat um, acclimatization to, to prepare for the Tokyo Olympics. Do you do anything else? Like, are you a guy who is really fixated on, like, I don't know, whatever it is, your recovery or your your diet or your sleep or something else, like some other weird thing that that you think is a really important factor in your performing? Yeah, um, staying away from the beers. That's that's a big that's a big thing in my my performance um, <laughs> kind of training. That's uh, a struggle, but um, no, nah, kind of like strength training, like strength strength and conditioning um uh, i was working with a qs trainer kelly um through the through the kind of off season european season um so that would be like two sessions a week maybe an hour each kind of focusing on maybe like arms and upper body um one session then lower body and um like squats pistol squats stuff like that um and like deadlifts and um basically just maintaining um, load and strength uh, for like injury injury maintenance um, and then yeah basically just I see a, see a dietitian as well um, not regularly but just probably check in now and again um, to formulate race strategies and stuff like that as well um, I use I use super sapiens um, which is also a partner of mine and um, try and like calculate um, my level of variability um, with like what I'm eating and to try and keep it as stable as possible um so yeah there are like there are a lot of little rocks as I, as I like refer to them as uh that i that i kind of make up the week with but um yeah main focus is swim bike run uh the big rocks so yeah. with your with your diet and nutrition historically in short course racing there has been a massive fixation on being skinny or being lean is that still the case in the sport at the moment yeah, it's funny you say that because um, back in 2018, uh, I remember before the Commonwealth Games, I was, I think, um, I was weighing like 73, 70, like 72, 73 kilos, um, and like I was, I was running decently and stuff like that, like not running too much slower than I, than I kind of am now in training, um, and then fast forward like a year or two, and I'm weighing like. 79 80 kilos and i thought that was like a detriment i thought like wow how can i run these times weighing that but i remember there was a race in kazakhstan uh it was a olympic distance duathlon they had to change it because one of the sewage pipes burst <laughs> and there was basically shit in the water um so yeah probably the worst event to do is a as an olympic distance duathlon where you've got to run 5k bike 40k and then have a hard 10k at the end of it but i remember i ran like a low 30 then you know after you know 15k of hard running um 
and and I was weighing like 79 kilos and that was kind of like to me it was like well it like doesn't doesn't really correlate to say like a, a climber a cyclist climber who needs to hit certain weight targets to to be able to get up a climb and hold you know an average watts per kilo it's kind of like to me that was like a, a change in my mind knowing that I can I can be a strong athlete you know I can you know I don't have to worry about weight as much because as long as you put in the hard work and you, you eat the right things and you're recovering well enough like you can still perform um you know what like the the kind of annotation between being being skinny and performance is just like not it's just not a thing because um and I know like like there's been such a such a change throughout the last like even like five years of on the female side of things like I know um like female athletes that have like struggled you know systematically just with like just how it was back in like the early 2000s and even like up into like the 2010s like it's just the sports evolved and you know science and and everything's just evolved so much that we don't have to focus on you know being the leanest or being the skinniest like it's not it's not like a look it's it's about what you get out of your body and how you fuel to perform so um so yeah that was kind of like my experience with with my own weight and and kind of fueling strategies and, and diet and stuff so yeah i guess no one really sort of um shows us this more than Christian Blumenfeld. And it's something that everyone in triathlon talks about. Like we talk yeah. about it on here as well. Like Christian looks chubby, but he's the fastest triathlete on planet earth. So like what you're saying there is clearly true. And it's like, it's so refreshing, isn't it? Because the, the hyper fixation that is just so prevalent in the endurance sports community, like, yes, you can't be fat and race well. And, and if you, if you're carrying a little bit too much body fat, you're probably not going to be quite as good as what you could be. But you don't have to be anorexic or you don't have to be, you know, um, struggling with eating disorders and, and it ruining your life just to be fast. And, and so hearing you say that is so like, I love that. And I'm, and I, I love that, that you spread that message and, and, and like, cause I just think it's so, it's such, it's like, it's such an unhealthy part of our sport and like the, 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 the mental battles people go through just because of body image and, and weight in, in this sport is fucking insane. So yeah, I loved hearing that, Matt. Yeah, no. And I, I think, I think the only benefit of, of being, um, being lighter is when you're jumping on Zwift in the after in your, in your KGs. Cause I've found like, I reckon there's something to do with like the, like the, the equation or something. Cause like I jump on Swift and I'm getting I'm getting chicked big time. Like I'm entering 79, 80 kilos and I'm getting chicked up the hills because there's I, I reckon there's definitely Swift need to change their their settings or something because with us big boys are getting are getting smashed. I, I know Christians, you know, <laughs> you know, probably in the same boat as well. So um, so that's yeah, a bit of a funny reflection. Yeah, I'm with you. Or just every, just lie about your weight like everyone else. <laughs> Like just drop it to sixty nine. Yeah, well, exactly right. You'll start winning races. Yeah. Still better than taking Bang EPO. On. Bang on. Acceptable cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, mate. This is uh this has been a good chat and, and I reckon we'll wrap it up there. But just so good to get some insight from from one of the best short course triathletes on on planet Earth because I just don't think we hear it enough and 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 yeah, I I loved it. Like I think um I think more people need to to hear about what you guys are doing and and just how insane you guys are at the moment. Like short course racing, everyone's talking about how 
we're in like the best period of triathlon of all time. And when they say that, they live, they, they, they are just talking about long course triathlon. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. short course triathlon right now is just fucking insane. It's so fast. Like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine racing you boys at the moment. Like I would, I would, that, that sounds like, like yeah, it's just insane. So um, I, I, I want to highlight it and I'm, and I'm glad that you came on and, and had a chat to me about it and, and, um, and yeah, can't wait to see what you can do over the, this next Olympic cycle, because God, if you're not, if you're not going to be a favorite when the, when the Olympics come, you'll be, you'll be one of the, one of the top three favorites. And that's, that's bloody exciting for Australian triathlon. So yeah, excited to, excited to follow that Matt and, 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 and hopefully everything goes smoothly. Appreciate it, Jack. Yeah. Thanks mate. Love chatting to you. Awesome. Have a, have a good day there. What time is it over there now? Uh, it's one twenty-two um, in the afternoon. So yeah. What training are you doing today? Uh, we did a, like a, a brick session. Um, so it was kind of like four by um, like eight minutes on the bike, 1K run, variable pace on the run. So um, we're training with like this local 18-year-old hotshot Croatian triathlete who wants to be the, the biggest, best next thing. And it's great to see his energy and stuff like that. So um, <laughs> we'll see if that, that comes to fruition. But yeah, it's it's been cool training Croatia. We've basically done it to avoid the uh, the visa requirements of um, of the European traveler. So um, so yeah, hang out here for another couple of weeks and then get in, get stuck in the Super League. Awesome, mate. Well, enjoy it uh, and, and we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, I appreciate it, mate. Awesome. See you, Matty. Ciao, mate. Bye.